Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please make sure you are liking, sharing, following, subscribing to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge for us each and every week. Today, we're sitting down with Tyler Braden. He grew up in a musical family. He played in bar bands in his early 20s, but then life took over. He became a full-time firefighter. It wasn't until a talent competition in 2016 that really he entered for fun when the spark was lit to try and follow a path in country music. He won that competition and with it came recording time down in Nashville. That was at the beginning of 2017, and ever since then, he has been chasing the dream. Now, 2021 is set up big for Tyler. He is set to join Brantley Gilbert on tour later this year, and he is also hopefully going to be releasing his debut EP. So please enjoy our conversation with Tyler Braden. How's it going with shows? What's it like to be back? Man, it's great. Um, getting good crowds. I, I know we started slow with like the limited capacity and which for a new artist, the bright side to that was I was going to West Coast and selling out shows. <laughs> it was at limited capacity. But no, we went out there this past weekend back to some venues that we had been through when it was limited and got to play full cap shows there in California and in Vegas and stuff. And it's been great. It's been absolutely amazing. And 2020 was your biggest year for releasing music. So what is it like to finally be out playing those songs live and to finally hear people singing words back to you? It's great, man. To um, I don't, I'd had a couple songs out for a while, but to go places. And it's actually kind of cool. One thing to think about is that we took a year off from shows. So when normally you would see a gradual growth in people singing a couple lyrics back and forth, it was a big jump from the shows before <laughs> and the shows after. So it's, it's been pretty cool to get out there and see people singing almost every single song. And now in 2020, before things shut down, you were able to play a show in Montgomery, which is right near your hometown. Now, is that as close as you could get to playing a hometown show? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a couple smaller places you got a little bit closer, but I mean, if I was, if I still lived at home and went out, you know, that's probably where I would end up going out. So that's pretty much the hometown show. That's, that's it. Right. And let's talk about that hometown because I tried to look for it on Google maps and it didn't even come up because it's slap <laughs> out, right? Yeah. That's what I've heard is that it won't come up on Google maps. I've seen it on, I've seen it on a lot of maps in my lifetime, you know, but so it's technically not anyone's address. So like, you're not, you don't live you know, at Main Street, Slap Out, Alabama. It's, it's kind of a community thing. Your address, there's two towns that kind of meet in it. We Tumpka, Alabama, and Holtville, Alabama. Oh, okay. uh, excuse me, Deatsville. And your address is one of those two. <laughs> so how big is it growing up? How many people were in your community without needing to drive, you know, 15, 20 minutes? Um, I never knew an actual population, but slap out itself is pretty much just the little town area with the gas station and there's like a cotton gin with a neighborhood beside it so there was those kind of people and then about two miles up the road there was slap out hardware and they called that downtown slap out. <laughs> but uh it's grown a lot since i've left a lot of neighborhoods are coming up but like my high school is called holtville high school was 
you know, three quarters of a mile up the road from the gas station and all that there that we called the boys store. Um, I graduated with 74 people, I think. And so, you know, not the smallest, but definitely not. I've, I've heard of some smaller, at least in Alabama. And so how far is it from Montgomery then? Um, if you're in slap out to Montgomery, it's about 30, 35 minutes. Okay. So growing up, did you have influence from those bigger cities or were you really influenced by that small town? It was the small town. We, you know, as a teenager, we didn't leave a whole lot. We would hang out there local, um, about 15 minutes away was a town called Prattville. We would go bowling a lot there. Uh, there was a minor league baseball team in Montgomery that still is called the Montgomery Biscuits. They're a uh, Tampa Bay Rays affiliate. So I went to probably 200 games from the time I was 16 to the time I was 19 or 20. But yeah, so there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot to do, but most of our time was spent around the house because we had a lake there and all that stuff. So we spent all our time in the country. Oh, nice. And so what did your parents do? Was it farming or what was their thing growing up? No, no, no. My, my parents both worked kind of in construction. My mom worked at international paper for okay. 15 or 20 years. And my dad still works as like a rigger and pipe fitter. He works in Louisiana and they've done that my whole life, kind of bounced around. They'd work out of town in another state and just they've kind of bounced around everywhere. My dad's worked as far away as Algeria, Africa, when I was little, just doing pipe fitting and rigging and stuff like that. Wow. And so growing up in that small community, was it country music mainly that you grew up on as far as listening? Absolutely. Especially with my parents, you know, my dad loved, you know, George Jones, Keith Whitley, and my mom loved the chicks and Kenny Chesney. I listened to a lot of them when I was 15, 16, 17. And then when I was about 18 or 19, I really got more into rock music and I was in rock bands, like cover bands and things like that then. But either way, 90% of what I was listening to in my vehicle or at home was country music. And what's the first memory you have of sort of music taking hold and having it be more than just something you were listening to, but something that started to resonate with you? Um, that's, I mean, that's really tough because I have what I would air quote as memories because I really just remember them from home videos. But okay, playing my entire life, my parents sing, my aunts and uncles, they all sing. So it's always been a part of my life. I have videos of me playing a little half scale guitar, just not really playing it, but just doing this right here. And, um, but I would say when I got into the rock bands and things like that, maybe a year before that, I was trying to play acoustic guitar a little bit and I wrote a song or two, you know, that were probably terrible. I don't remember them, but, uh, probably when I was about 18 or so, it started slowly creeping in and then it faded away some more as I went into the fire service and all I did was like play acoustic shows around town just for fun. But it was come and go thing until I moved to town when I was about 27. Right. Yeah. You were a late bloomer. And let's talk about way before that, those home videos. Now, was there a lot of living room performances that you had growing up being around a musical family like that? Well, I wouldn't say so much living room performances, but my parents sang at their friends' private parties. And then we got videos at my uncle's house in South Alabama. And there's a lot of those, like just on the front porch with like a speaker system and all that set up. It started with my dad playing guitar and my mom singing, and I would just kind of play along. There's stories that obviously I don't remember, but my mom said when I found out they could get money 
that you could get money to sing that I would ask when I was really little, I'd say, how much will you pay me to sing? You know, uh, don't take the girl or something about Tim McGraw. I, I would ask for money when I was little. <laughs> and so when do you remember sort of realizing you had a voice and realizing that you could sing or has it always just been there? Um, it's kind of always, my mom says that I could, she knew I could sing from as soon as I would try to when I could first talk. But I sang, you know, with them a lot, even when I was 12, 13, 14, just karaoke style kind of stuff. And then I sang in church a lot when I was 15 and 16. And it's kind of, it kind of came in pretty quick, but I've kind of known for a long time. And now February 6th, 2009, I believe, is when you played your first show with those rock bands that you talk about, the cover bands. And so how did that come about? Was that just high school friends coming together to play? So it's kind of funny. They were guys that had always been around since kindergarten and all that, but we actually weren't really close. And I left for college and I would come home and hang out and somehow got over to one of their houses, who's now one of my best friends named Dustin. And I got over to their house and they didn't know they played or did anything, but they were doing a little rock band thing with a buddy of theirs singing. And I just hanging out. I stood up and sang a song while they played. I think it was uh, Only God Knows Why by Kid Rock. <laughs> and I sang that just messing around. And the other guy didn't work out. So I kind of moved in there and we just started playing a little bit back then. And that was we started that band. And like I said, I'd known them for a long time, but we weren't really close until after we graduated. I saw a post on your social media from, I think it was early 2020, maybe it was this year, but you had talked about driving home to Nashville after a show and there was a lot of traffic. So you pulled off the interstate and you passed this old building, which was the first building where you ever played a show. Now, was that with that band or was that later on? February 6th. So yeah, uh, technically, I guess my first show would have been some open mic nights when I was at UAB in Birmingham, trying to pick guitar, play like one song kind of thing. But my first actual show with our name there was the February 6, 2009 or something like that at a place called 3165. There's I-65 and Highway 31 crossed, and there was a small country bar, really small place that had... You know, all the, the, there was a band of like these local middle-aged guys would get there and play Leonard Skinner. And they were so good. It was the first time I'd really watched bands that were that good. That were just guys that I knew from around town. And they let us go in there and play 10 songs for them to open for them. And we made literally like $10 a person. And I think Dustin still has his $10 bill. I don't, I don't know <laughs> where mine is. Mine probably got spent at the Chevron as soon as we left, but <laughs> That was it. That was at that little place, February 6th. And yeah, I got, got stuck in traffic like you read on there. And we were sitting there for a long time and I just got off and it was really overgrown. There was nothing, you know, it's not open anymore, but the building was still there. So I kind of pulled in and sat there trying to let traffic clear and all that. And I had a long drive back to Nashville anyways. But yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> and so that moment and seeing that building and thinking back to that first show. Now, are those moments that you take now to sort of think back and look at where you've come from? Or is that a difficult thing to do when you're look, continually looking forward to what's next? That, that's exactly right. It's, it's really hard to take time to pause and see what's happened. The last year has made that a little easier, excuse me, because we've had a little more time to reflect. And 
but yeah, overall it is hard to slow down and take inventory of everything that's happened in the last 10 or 12 years. But when I really think about it and I go back and I, you know, I, I go, still go visit Dustin and he's a real estate agent now, very successful real estate agent. It's just kind of funny to have stuck it out. I went into the fire service for seven years, but to be back in the music industry, after we all used to joke about, you know, that was the joke. We're like, oh, we're going to do this show and then we're going to get signed. That's what we'd say. We're going to get signed. That's what we said all the time. It's like, we're going to get signed. And we, we never left like a 50 mile radius. After high school, there's a friend named James, I think, that I read that he was the first person to sort of start teaching you cover songs and how to play cover songs. Yeah, James, James Miller is his name. He's still a good friend of mine. We still keep in touch a lot. We went to, I've known him since the seventh grade, I think it was. When we were 17 or 18, his dad was a very good guitarist and his older brother and James could play a bunch of stuff at that point. And he did. I had a couple friends at church before that had taught me my first like chords and I never really played. And then when I was 17 or 18, James taught me some stuff. We would kind of try to learn John Mayer little things. And yeah, he, he's the one that actually had me playing consistently for a little while. I didn't stick with it super strong through the time I was in the rock bands. I never played hardly, but he was the first one that had me get consistent at it for any sort of time period, any significant time period. Right. And now I read that growing up, it was country music that you listened to, but of course your performance was rooted more in rock. And so when did it change? When did you think country is a path for me away from rock? Um, it's hard to pinpoint it because as soon as the uh, like I said I'd always listen to it and as soon as the rock bands were kind of a thing of the past we get got went in went in and out of them for a little while but anytime I would do acoustic shows on my own it was seventy five percent country it was a oh, lot of the fray and some stuff like that thrown in there but it was mostly country even then but if I tried to pinpoint it to what told me I should go to Nashville was I did a contest called Kalija Idol on Lake Martin, Alabama, there's a bridge called Kalaja Bridge, a little area there. And so they called it Kalaja Idol. There was probably 100 to 150 people in it from South Alabama and a little bit in Georgia because it was hosted by a radio station there. And it was very long. It was like six, eight weeks long, which I always joke, which I don't know that I don't know if American Idol was six or eight weeks long. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But it was pretty long. And I went through that and I ended up winning. And what you won was like $1,000 and... A, tr a recording session in Nashville. And I also always joke that the recording session here was in a guy's basement and it was, but it was still one of the nicest studios I've ever been in to this day. And it was in the guy's basement. He did stuff for commercials and all that oh, stuff. Okay. But I came up here and that's what I wrote a few songs to come up here and just do some acoustic recording while I was here. Not try to do anything crazy. It was my first time coming to Nashville. I reached out to someone and played a small writer's round while I was here just to see what it was like. And a couple of my friends came with me from Montgomery and that was my first time ever coming to Nashville. And that was almost a year after that contest. And I remember when we came here, it snowed like crazy. So I thought it was going to be snowing here all the time <laughs> when, when I moved up here. But yeah, that was my first time coming here and seeing the atmosphere and playing in Nashville and kind of feeling that. And that's when I knew I wanted to move here. And now with that talent competition, like you say, you were in the fire service for quite a few years after the rock band and you kind of got into real life. So what was it that made you want to enter that contest? 
Um, it was super local thing and I could do it. It was, it was every, it was only on Fridays and Saturdays and things like that. And I think my shifts landed well, where I only had to take off like one shift to go do it. And I'd known friends that had done it. My aunt had actually done it before. She's oh, really? Singer. Yeah. Like I said, it was real local based thing. And it's, it didn't seem like a really big deal. And so I didn't view it as something that oh, I'm going to go do this. And if it goes good, I'm going to go chase a music career. It was something small at the time, but it was kind of symbolic in that I did country music and I threw the contest and then I, I did well and I won it and got to go to Nashville. So even though it, it's not like a really big thing, it was very symbolic in my journey to get to Nashville. And so once you won, was that sort of a switch where you were like, I want to try and pursue this? Or like you say, it was a year sort of at going into the studio and stuff. So did it take a while for it to really sink in that, hey, this would be cool to pursue? It did. Um, I think actually coming to town was the bigger thing when I finally cashed in the the gift certificate of the studio, I guess you'd call it. When I finally did that, but actually got to come to town and hang out and everything, that finally got planted the seed and some friends of mine had made the move with pretty good success. And they told me that, man, you kind of, you kind of have to be in Nashville if you want to do it. So I started really feeling it. And so I looked up Tennessee firefighting jobs on Google and I looked up around the end that Brentwood was testing here South of Nashville. And within, I think from the day I Googled that to the day I was living here was probably six to eight weeks at the most. It happened really fast. And so with that recording session, you say it was like a, a voucher almost, like it wasn't something that was booked for you. You had to book it yourself. I, I had to call him and be like, hey, man, I won this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember donating my, you know, he probably didn't expect to wait 10, 11 months. You had a year to use it, I think. And I waited, procrastinated. Well, I was wondering how close were you? Because a lot of times if you win a coupon or something like just in normal life, it'll sit in the drawer and before you get to it, it'll expire. So how close was it to expiring and not being used? If I'm, unless I've made this up, just telling the story over and over, I think it was a year and that was probably 10 months. So I guess a couple months from it. Like I said, I pro- I could have made that up though. <laughs> Maybe it never, never expired, but after 10 months, I'm sure either way he expected that it wasn't going to get cashed. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was the start of 2016 when you went into the studio. And I believe it was the start of 2017. You were playing Whiskey Jam. Now, just talk about that year, 2016, and sort of how quickly you were able to make connections and sort of jumpstart that career. Well, I got here in July of 2016 and I'd come, I visited in February, I believe it was. I did the writer's round at Blue Bar, which is gone now. And I played two or three songs for that. And in July, I started the fire service here in Brentwood and you had to really still do the rookie games. I didn't do a whole lot of music industry stuff at all. But coincidentally, a friend of mine, that's my tour manager now, was a tour manager for another artist and we were roommates. And when he emailed about his guy playing, he's like, hey, my roommate also plays. And of course, Ward at Whiskey Jam will take anybody. And he's super accepting and super supportive of new, supportive of new artists. So I got on that and I still have, it's downstairs, but Chase, my tour manager actually printed out the Instagram post picture of the lineup 
and put it in a frame. And I still have it downstairs. And we played that in January of 2017. And right around then, I was trying to go in the studio. Another friend of mine through Chase worked for Kelsey Ballerini, and he knew some guys that had a studio in their house. And that's kind of how I started talking to them. And around the time I played Whiskey Jam, I went in and recorded Little Red Wine. Yeah. Even though I didn't put it out for probably five or six months still after that. but And what was that recording session like as opposed to the first one when you first got there in knowing that this was actually music that you wanted to put out and that would technically jumpstart your career, hopefully? Well, before coming to the one that I'd won, I knew that I didn't know anything about the studio and how that works. So I was actually like, I'm going to go in here and make a fool of myself. I, I really didn't know what was happened so I called the guy and I was like man you can just cut everything on and I'll play acoustic and just you just give me one long and then I'll cut it myself it's like we don't have to make any big deal trying to record a song to release nothing crazy so I wrote four or five songs and ended up recording them there just standing there acoustic and but then going into this was in a guy's attic and so at the time I still didn't know that I mean this his computer in an attic could make a good recording you know at the time now i've seen you know people making out of apartments making songs that you don't you have to barely tweak it and then it can go to radio and it's <laughs> yeah. second bedroom and at the time i didn't know all of that so i had learned a little bit but not enough to really see a difference i didn't really compare the two the guy's studio in his basement was immaculate like i said still to this day one of the best I've, nicest i've ever seen but he was a successful guy doing music and the, like the background music for commercials for like NBC and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And so these guys were just early twenties guys with stuff in their attic that they built their stuff up. And that's how I recorded little red wine was just in their attic. And so when you released that song, what was that like? What was your feeling when that went, went out? Was that sort of the final realization that this was now hopefully going to be a career for you? I honestly have no idea. I don't, I'm sure that I was nervous. And what's, what makes me know that I was nervous is how long it took me to put it out. Obviously, if it were recorded in February, March, April, May, June, four, four and a half months later, we finally put it out. And I'm sure there were nerves. And I didn't know what to expect, you know, and I got lucky and it did well on like Spotify's release radar kind of thing. And it got attention of a guy that I'd played softball with the, my first fall here, I played softball for years. I got a game tomorrow night actually. And my first fall here, I got into a softball team and met this guy that had worked in the industry. And he just said, Hey man, I would like to work with you. I didn't know what he's very entrepreneurial spirit. So I took it with a grain of salt kind of thing. He's like, I just want to introduce you to someone. And he did an intro email with Bruce Kalmick, who's now my manager and runs my, owns my management company. So if it wasn't for softball, I probably wouldn't have anything that I have today. So little red wine and softball. It's crazy how these little experiences along the way that might seem like nothing at the time help to build a career. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. And so it takes a year to release your next single. Now, what was the feeling within that year? Were you wanting to release more music? Were you itching to release it? Or were you just kind of soaking it in and playing shows and trying to build yourself up? As a little bit of the whole soaking it in thing. And I was building a relationship with my management, my newfound management. And we had a 
just kind of a it, it was kind of a more of a mentorship than management like he just helped kind of under the table just gave advice it wasn't anything official and in the time there little red wine got onto new boots playlist and built up a little uh little traction of its own and we got to talking with the management i had a bunch of songs written and we went over which songs to play and they had some ideas of people i could get with and ended up getting with mcvee matt mcvaney and did the second bedroom of his apartment just like i was talking about i stood in a closet and sang vocals and we did leave me alone and it's i mean it's done very well over the last few years itself right there neck and neck with little red wine so it was, it's been pretty cool to have some success on those those independently released songs for them to stay doing well through the whole label release thing right and 2019 was a big year for you you left the fire service to do music full time. Uh, you had a couple of singles, you signed with management, you signed with Warner Music, and you were on some pretty big shows throughout the year. So what was that whole year like for you in making that transition? So one thing Bruce had done not long after we met was he explained to me, you know, you've got a full time job. So, you know, the way the management company works and the business works, it's like we can't sign someone who's still working another full time job, you know, He's like, but I'll help you as much as I can. And he ended up introducing me to Pete Olson, who is my manager, because we did a co-management deal. And Pete took the reins. We met one time at his house and helped started getting me all these pub meetings at the end of 2018. And come March or so of 2019, we were getting meeting or getting some hints of an offer from a couple different places. And I'd been playing some shows here and there when I could. Like I said, still working the fire service. We worked two days on, four days off. Oh, okay. And so that left a lot of time where I could go play shows and I could have meetings. But as the opportunities got bigger and were beyond my schedule, sometimes they started to overlap. And there was never a time that I couldn't find someone at the fire station to work for me. And that's actually the inspiration for doing the cover of Brother was because as my career started to overlap, they knew it meant that I wanted to leave, but they would still support me and work for me. And the whole point of that is in the fire service, they work for you. You still get paid and are working on paper and just kind of honor system. You owe them the same thing. And they oh, okay. knew that I was trying to leave and may never get to pay them back. <laughs> but they still did that for me and I'll never be able to repay them. But a lot of that was the beginning of 2019 and we picked up some a couple festivals, uh, Rock the South in Coleman, Alabama. And I finally got close enough to signing a pub deal. We had three or four offers on the table that I told them. I gave my two weeks notice at the fire station. And I actually ended up leaving, I'll say like first, first second week of June 2019. And I signed my pub deal with 50 Egg. And it was kind of pretty quick from there. Like we started playing a little bit more shows, most of it acoustic, doing some acoustic runs, opening for like Dylan Scott and a couple others through there, doing acoustic trio, me and my two guitars that are still with me now. And in October, it was around the same time we started getting the, the record deal offers. And we ended up going with Warner, as you know, and signed on October 15th of 2019. And on that funny things on that same day, October 15th, I stopped by my attorney's office, signed the paperwork and went to a right with Chase Rice and Brock Berryhill and wrote Love's a Dead End Road that day. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because not only were you signing your record deal, but I wanted to ask you about the picture that your sister had sent that inspired the song and how that all just came together on that day to write that song. 
yeah, there's a small neighborhood in Slap Out right up the road from our high school that we went to. And it's right there next to the lake. And they had lived in a smaller neighborhood up the street for a long time and sold that house. And, you know, things don't always go exactly how you plan. They thought they could pretty quickly find somewhere else, but they ended up having to stay like in my parents' house, like my sister and her husband, two kids, all crammed in one house <laughs> for, I don't know, nine months or so, I think. And they found this land and they finally bought land. And the picture she took was just of the woods. There was a small trail and she was telling me this is where the driveway is going to be. But I just got the picture and I'm like, what is this? Like just trees. And that was kind of a light bulb moment that something that you never can understand what some things mean to other people to use, you see them as an everyday thing. And to them, that was a huge moment in, you know, in their life for their whole family where they were going to build this, their home. And so that was a pretty big deal. And it just looked like a middle of nowhere dead in road thing. And I was getting coffee at Warner chapel and I walked back in the room with chase and Brock and was like, I have an idea called love the dead in road. And it kind of fits this, this thought that I just had when she sent me this picture. That's awesome. And another song I wanted to ask you about is secret. I absolutely love the song and just the message behind it, like the lyrics that I just find it to be just an awesome song. And was that a solo right for you? That was, I wrote that one, I think right before kind of coming up here. I don't remember if I wrote that one before that recording session thing, but cause I'd written a handful of stuff by myself, a uh, little red wine, leave me alone. And then in secret was one of them. And it was just about being from that small town and knowing a lot about everyone around you. Cause you literally see the same people every day. If you go to the gas station, you're going to know the cashier. You're probably going to know at least a couple people in line with you and you're around each other so, so much that whether you know each other closely and hang out closely intentionally, whether you do that or not, your stories a lot of time are going to overlap anyways. And that was kind of what the idea in that song came from was the different, the different verses how in the end, they kind of all cross paths, you know, whether it was intentional or not, you're just in a small town, you can't really help it. That is awesome. And I hear a lot in Nashville, the best song wins, of course. And so how cool is it? to have the confidence of those around you to release the songs that you wrote before you got to Nashville that you wrote by yourself? Uh, that was, that's very cool. Uh, that actually crossed my mind a lot back then thinking, oh, I'm going to go into these co-writes with these big writers and we've written great songs, getting to go in and bounce ideas off, off great writers and get their take on an idea I may have already had for weeks and do the same, give my take on a title idea or a verse idea that they have. But to, see the confidence that they have in some songs that I'd written alone with no influence from any, from any other writers that they may have already known and already trusted. That, that was a big deal. It did help the confidence a lot. And it helped me to know that they had confidence in me and would push and work for me as a team. And so that's a really cool thing, especially when secret went to uh, XM radio that, that wasn't planned at all. I guess they just heard it and kind of ran with it on their own. We never asked anyone for that. And so that was a really cool moment to have that happen from a song that I created by myself before ever even moving to town. That's awesome. And earlier this year, you released What Do They Know? And you had posted a video just about the meaning behind that song and basically not proving everyone else wrong, but proving yourself right. And that's the message you wanted to get across in that song. Now, I wanted to ask you, 
with a song like that, where you have such a strong feeling of what you want it to mean to others, do you kind of have to take a step back when you release it to allow the other feelings to come in of what it does mean to other people who are listening to it? Absolutely. Any song you write is going to be accepted in a million different ways. I think it was Dave Grohl said his favorite part about music is singing a song to 85,000 people and having 85,000 people sing it back to him for a different reason. And I think that's amazing. And what do they know is actually a really good example of that because there's a line in the song that says, um, they know how to make you feel a little bit guilty about trying to get out of there. And this guy commented on the YouTube video saying, remember, telling me to remember that line. He said, you'll always, that'll always affect you. And that's true. Like every little change you want to make, somebody's going to say you shouldn't do it. And such a small, innocent line that mostly to me just rhymed and just kind of worked <laughs> about leaving a small town. It, it fits so many more situations than just, than just leaving a small town to play music. It just, it just does any sort of change you're going to make. There's always going to be someone with an opinion that you should or shouldn't do it. And so you, you have to make up your mind on your own. And you have made a, a lot of changes over your life. Now talk about the day you walked away from the fire service, just the emotions you were feeling of leaving the fire service, but now chasing this dream that you wanted to chase. Was it just a mixed bag of everything? There was more than you know, um, my farewell dinner, actually, they were horse playing and picked me up and carried me outside and they were shooting me with fire extinguishers and dropped me on the blacktop and I ended up spraining four rib joints. Oh, really? This is when I left the, the day I left the fire service. So when you say, think about the day you left, that's what I think about more than anything. Uh, cause that affected me for like three or four months. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't hardly move, but, uh, it, that was kind of funny that I went my whole service without any major injuries. I'd hurt my hand and tore some ligaments and things like that. But everybody talks about hurting your back and I hurt my back the last day. But yeah, there, there was, it was definitely mixed emotions. I get asked all the time if you miss it and 99% of missing it is missing hanging out with the guys and just the camaraderie you have there in the brotherhood. Because for seven years, a third of my life was spent in a fire station, like 24 hours a day for a third of my life. And you can't really just easily walk away from that and never think about it again. I remember the first time I really, really missed it was I was probably somewhere I shouldn't be because I was on some street in the middle of the night in Chicago. I had a show, couldn't sleep. So I'm like walking the street and probably in a bad part of town. I don't know. But I heard a fire truck, you know, and I heard them coming. And my first thought was, you know, I wonder what they're going to, what they're going to this, that, that. And I wanted to know really bad. Obviously, there was no way for me to know. But that was the first time I really thought about it and really missed it. And because there is part of you that misses the adrenaline and just the things you learn along the way, the craft, because a lot of it, I, I joke that I probably couldn't run a pump anymore. There's a lot of things I've probably forgotten in two years. And now you have a charity golf tournament coming up later this year. Um, a, how does it feel to already be at a point in your career where you can host an event like this? And B, what does it mean to be able to give back in that way, since you can't give back in that physical way like you did with the fire department. Man, it's, it's amazing. October 25th, which we knew it was a sign when the first golf course I thought about since it was actually in Brentwood and we went by it and I went on calls in the neighborhood, Governor's Club, when their only day available was the Monday of International Firefighter Week, we were like, oh, it's gotta, it's gotta be there. That, that made so much sense. 
And it is really cool to be able to give back in a way that I know people can have fun. Uh, Whiskey Jam is going to come and do an acoustic show, do an acoustic roundup for it. And I know a lot of people in the music industry and a lot of the guys at the station love to play golf and it's going to be good food. And it is great to be able to have what feels like a party and just hanging out and doing something fun, but it's actually a good cause and able to give back to something that always meant a lot to me. So it does feel good to be able to do that. And I can't wait. And also later in the year, you're heading out on tour with Brantley. What does that mean for you, for your career? And just, it feels like the realization that this was the right path for you. Well, the answer is I have no idea because I'm still in shock. It's still kind of surreal to be able to get an arena tour with Brantley Gilbert. It's a really cool full circle moment. Goes back to the contest. The song I played in the last round was Hell of an Amen. By oh, really? And it was written uh, by Brian Davis. And Brian Davis and I wrote a song that's going to be on my EP coming up that I'll play at every show at the Brantley tour. It's a lot of cool full circle moments coming around there. But the band, the crew, all of us, were all super excited because it's all of our first arena shows. And to be able to do it with people you're close with and a crew that you love is going to be amazing. We can't wait. It's, uh, it's, there's nothing I can really say. I, I'm just excited. That is awesome. And to close things out, you mentioned an EP. Tell us about it. Can we expect a date? What can we expect from it? Uh, well, I've learned that every date is set in stone to be changed at least <laughs> one time. So I don't know any dates yet, but I know we'll have a single or two between now and then, hopefully one in September. We've just started talking about, I'm hoping to do maybe one in September, one in October, kind of leading up to fingers crossed an EP in November, which will be six or seven songs and all but one or two will be new songs. So I'm pretty excited about it. That is awesome. And is all the material done or are you still writing for a song or two for it? Um, well, we're always writing for songs. I got to write tomorrow. If it's the best song I've ever written, then we'll squeeze it in our last minute. That's how it always goes. But we we pretty much know what's going to be on at 99%. And we're going in the studio Thursday evening of this week to do the last song. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations oh, on all the success that you've seen over the past just two or three years since you've been doing this. And I just have to ask, if you get to a point where you can do it, would you ever try and put on a festival back home? Like home, oh, home? Awesome. I've, I've thought about, I don't know if I thought festival, because there are some festivals, maybe just go play the existing ones, but to do something right there, like in a field, right in slap out would be awesome. Oh, absolutely. If I had the opportunity, I would do it. Thank you guys once again so much for listening. And thank you to Tyler for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out all of his music and be on the lookout for his debut EP, hopefully later this year. Please also make sure you are liking, sharing, following, subscribing to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on. Leave a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music.